This message that I'm going to share with you is not one I would normally share when I come back. It, it's, a, it's a message that spoke to me over the last six weeks. And I, I heard a pastor in New York even a few weeks ago uh, use this phrase, and it really stuck with me. And so I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, before we get to Acts chapter 9. So you can turn to Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles, and we're going to get to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10, a famous passage for us as a church. We named the church Mercy Road based off of Acts chapter 9. But I was reading this verse and realizing you know, the importance of it. What is the number one message Jesus brought when he came? The number one message. If you read the Gospels, if you're new to Christianity, we have many people who will join us who are either atheists or agnostic or searching out the things of faith from a different religious background but are interested in Jesus, maybe watching online. The Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that he's fully God, fully human, that gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice so that he could overcome death itself. We were bought at a price. It took his own life so that we could know God, live with him eternally in heaven, and experience him in our life right now. And when Jesus walked on the planet, he waited for thousands of years for the right moment in human history to enter into it. And his number one message wasn't go to church. You shouldn't say that, you're a pastor. It wasn't go to church. It wasn't even be a good person. His number one message that he brought throughout the New Testament, read it on your own, I'm not making this up, is repent. <sighs> I don't like that word. You not like that word? That doesn't really fit our 21st century culture. I like the word repent. Repent means to change our ways, to acknowledge our mistakes, to do a 180 and turn and ask for forgiveness. But here's the beauty of it. See, for many of us, repentance has a negative connotation because we've seen too many people that in a very upset fashion say, you need to repent. We're going to have some repentance in here this morning, right? And if it doesn't happen, it's because you're going to a place under the ground and it's going to happen to you. And we scare people and we intimidate them and we emotionally manipulate them. And look, the heart between some of, behind some of those passages is probably good, but the beauty is we get to repent. We get to repent. We need some repentance. We need some repentance. You see what's going on in Charlottesville and the racism that is still active in our culture today. We need, as humanity, some repentance. When you see threats of nuclear war, uh, we need some repentance. And we never uh, back any political candidate. and We don't blame one political person. We're not about politics. We're about the ways of Jesus. And when we see these things going on in the world, we say, what God can, can I surrender in my life to see you more fully known in this world? Because if you actually reigned in heaven like you do on earth, things would look differently. And his number one message, Matthew chapter four, verse 17, from, the time on, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's not just the kingdom of heaven or in the other gospels, the kingdom of God is a physical location. It is that as God reigns in heaven, he's king of heaven, that he will reign on earth the same way. We won't have perfection this side of heaven, but we'll get glimpses of what it'll be like. Next Sunday, we'll be doing our Underground Jesus series where we'll be talking about how we're going to uh, release an underground movement of Jesus Christ that cannot be stopped, that cannot be stopped. 
And the early church followed in those very ways. That's at the heart of what I believe Jesus brought in the New Testament very clearly to us. If you want to follow him, you have to make him king and repent of your ways. Not because you have to, not because he's an angry God in the sky with his magnifying glass looking down on you, angry at you, belittling you and hating you, but because he loves you and it hurts that you have broken relationship with him. And it's not just for the Christians, it's for all of us that would turn to him and call Jesus Christ king of our lives. And so as we start this morning's message and we get into all of this, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I want you to stand up for just a second. Stand up with me. Get up out of that seat a little bit. We're going to get uncomfortably close to Jesus. The first Sunday we ever started as a church almost six years ago at Clay Middle School right here in Carmel. We have sent out all kinds of flyers. We invited everyone that we knew. And that is when a church plant says really good things to you to try and get you to come back so that we coddle you enough, we can get the things out of you, you need, what we need. You know what we did instead? We had every person who attended there, Christian or not, to get down on their knees. And for those who were Christian, to acknowledge him as king for a moment. And for those who weren't, to, as an act of saying, okay, I'm at least open to what you might have for me. And so I'm going to invite you as we head into the fall season and the next step in the history of our church, and for us as individuals becoming the per- people we were born to be, that would begin with just an act of submission. That's so where you get down on your knees with me. If you're physically able, if you're not, that's cool. You can sit down. It's all right. Um, hopefully, if you've got tight pants on, they don't split. But get down on your knees and just begin with some prayer. God, we have gotten out of our seats in church. Woo! And we ask that uh, you would speak to our hearts and our souls right where we're at. As we head into this next season, we acknowledge your presence and your Holy Spirit here with us right now. As we celebrate at Christmas time, you are Emmanuel, God who is with us. Your presence is here with us. We ask that you minister to us. We submit to you. As we talk about the King of Heaven this morning, the story of Ananias, may we be movable by you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray for immeasurably more in our lifetime. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, Amen. 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 If you can get back up physically, if you're able to do that. You've been doing some CrossFit. You want to do a kick up? That's cool too. Um, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Will you welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet? Glad that you guys are here from all over the world right now. And I told you to turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read five verses here in just a moment, but I got to ask this question. It's an all important question for us this morning. How many of you like traffic? Dave, I know you do. How many of you love it? You love traffic. Don't lie to me. This is a Christian place. But I lived in Los Angeles for seven years. Have you seen the traffic in Los Angeles? Sometimes I'd have to take the 210 to the 57 to the 60 to the 10. And like, you don't want to do it. You have to call it the everywhere in Southern California. The traffic's horrible. And I would often get very frustrated and impatient about it. ever happened to you? You begin to think things in your head. Maybe certain expletive words. And if you're a good Christian, you keep them inside your head. The non-Christians say it outside of their body. Uh, Good Christians keep it inside and that's better. And we get very angry and we get very frustrated and it's not a fun place to be, is it? Uh, This uh, past three months, we traveled all over the place and we, we got to go up Europe. We literally did plane, trains, and automobiles. We did the whole thing. Saw traffic for sure. Drove up the East Coast for seven weeks with three children. Thank you for your prayers. 
I won't pray that I'm my worst enemy. And if we all came back and survived, and it was an incredible time, but I hate traffic. And you don't have to travel in order to see traffic. All you got to do is go out to I-69 at 5.30 on a Friday evening. Amen? And you can witness it for yourself. It's not fun feeling stuck like you can't move. And the truth is, when you're stuck in traffic, it doesn't matter if you're driving like the Maserati or you're driving the Oldsmobile Calais from the 80s. Anybody come on now? It doesn't matter. No one wants to feel stuck and trapped and you can't go. I found over the last few months especially that for many of us in our lives, we feel stuck. We want to become the person we were born to be as Darren described, but we never actually see it occur. And I would argue this morning, it's because we've spent too much time behind the wheel. And I want to desire for myself and for us this morning that you might consider becoming someone who is movable again by the things of God. To be unstuck in this life as Ananias is in this passage. Are you ready to study God's word together this morning, church? Here we go, Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. It was a literal place. I got a picture of uh, about the same location. There were great colonnades over that place in Damascus. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in uh, Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their, to their kings and to the people of Israel. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Saul in Acts chapter 6 had overseen the killing of Stephen for his Christian faith. By Acts chapter 9, he is going through the streets of Damascus with letters from the high priests ripping Christians out of their homes and bringing them back to imprison them in Jerusalem. Literally, Saul, who will become Paul, is a religious terrorist in the first century. In my personal opinion, not many people farther from God than Saul. And yet one authentic encounter with the risen Jesus, it so dramatically changes his life. We talk about why we name the church Mercy Road, that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And Saul will encounter that Jesus and go on to write 40% of the New Testament and start most of the churches in the Roman Empire. Nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. You came in here and you thought your hair would light on fire because of their baggage and sin in your life. Welcome to the team. We're glad that you're here. You're at the right place. Because God is in the habit of changing our stories. But all of it comes back to this man, Ananias. The verses that we just read, and, and the verses that we'll read in Acts 22, are the only time Ananias is ever mentioned in the Bible. It's the only thing in his whole life that any human being alive today out of 6.7 billion people, the only thing we know about this man Ananias was what happened right there in this passage. That he was movable by God in a way where he allowed him to reorient and change his life so that he will go to Saul and heal him. And Saul will become Paul and he will go on to do all these great things, but it might not have occurred without one man You may not be the greatest evangelist in the world, 
but you can do what Ananias did, which is hear from God to do what he says and humble yourself before him. That's at the heart of what I want to talk about, how to get unstuck this morning in your spiritual lives. And the first uh, point I want to make is this. If you want to get unstuck, answer God when he calls. That's what Maddie did. In fact, the, the trip got canceled here at our church for a couple of different reasons. And she found another church because God called her to do it. That's how it works when you follow Jesus. You're going to do anything that he calls you to do. You're going to follow him wherever he goes. And so if you want to get unstuck in your life, you have to be movable enough to actually answer him when he calls. That's point number one and the shortest point I've ever made in a sermon. Point number two is this. Ignore your fears and go. Ignore your fears and go. This might be the hardest part. See, in verses 12 to 14, Ananias is like, hey, wait a second, Lord. Um, that guy's been like killing people like me. Did I hear you right? Right? Could, could you picture what this would have actually been like? That you hear this voice and it's saying your name? Josh, go to Scienceville. Eric Maitland is going to be there. He is a sinner among sinners. Please pray and heal him. Right? Like, wouldn't that freak you out? And I'd be like, um, Lord, I've heard of this Eric Maitland. I've heard of his stories taking people like me and throwing them into prison in this case. Wouldn't you be afraid? Your fears and anxieties would be justified, wouldn't they? See, oftentimes in our lives, we're not movable by God and becoming the person that we were born to be because we are afraid that if we take these next steps, if we acknowledge there is an issue in our marriage, if we acknowledge there are repetitive habits in our lives that have become destructive to us, if we begin to call out this addictive habit that we can't seem to break, if we begin to realize that we have become someone we don't want to be, actually working through those issues is not easy. It's difficult. And the enemy loves, loves to use fear as a way to prevent you from fulfilling what God has called you to be. You see, following Jesus, this may seem simple, but takes faith. That's why in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it said, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That the word in the New Testament for faith and believe is the same word, pisteo, uh, in Greek, that means to trust. That you cannot have faith in God and not trust him. Now, let me stop there for a second, because some of you are going, no, wait a second, so let me get this right. If I just want to actually see God show up in my life like Ananias here, I just need to trust the Lord more. Like, I don't even hear from God. I don't even know what he's asking me to do, so how am I supposed to trust him more? You see, I don't know what your specific calling is. He may or may not be calling you to go to Africa. You may or may not have a calling to play in the NBA. Eric and myself do not have that calling. He may or may not call you to be an astronaut and land on Mars, right? But you can know your general calling. It's very clear throughout the New Testament, I believe, to help those in need and to share your faith. The twofold mission that Eric Lindahl mentioned in the announcements that you can begin to look at your life and go, where, where can I do those two things to make an impact with the short life I've been given? You see, over the last three months, I realized how much time we as human beings waste doing things that we will not care about in 100 years. Do we remember anything else about Ananias' life? Nothing. Couldn't tell you a single thing. The only thing that we remember is the one time he was heard from God and he actually moved to follow him to fulfill the mission he had placed before him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't do that because I'm too, too often I'm busy chasing my selfish desires. 
we often are too busy chasing our selfish desires to see the God-sized dream right in front of us. We want to become the person we were born to be, but we got all of this other good stuff that we want to do because we got to, you know, this is how I work. We got to get our kids in their sports programs and we, we got to excel in our, our workplace because when we get to heaven, God's going to be really happy that we were a good accountant all those years. And we, we got to make sure that we take care of certain systems in my life so that I get all the things that I desire and I get to have the funds, the fun uh, events on the weekend. And I love doing that. You guys know, some of you know, I love to hang out, play board games, do all kinds of fun stuff, go out on the weekends, love to do all those things, right? But you know what? I don't hear any stories in here of people and of that aspect of their life. What we hear is when people love God and love others well, and they go, I can make an impact here. This is something of the stake my life on. My desires aren't going to be my own. They're going to be his. Now, I'm always challenged because we have many Christians in this church who are already doing the things I'm describing. In fact, um, what you probably need is some rest sometimes, and, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But today, one of our outposts, the Carmel East outposts, all kinds of outposts all over the city right now. It's so cool to hear the stories happening there. But the Carmel East outpost is doing an event right here, right after this service, out in the lobby from 1 to 3 p.m. For anybody that needs any help or assistance, you don't even need a lot of help. You just need a little help. We're giving away um, free backpacks and school supplies. Um, Dotted Line Divas has also provided a special uh, need-based kit for you which Line Divas just got their new location on 86th Street. Cool story. I saw it on the news. Praise God for that. Ministry got started here. Somebody came to faith. Uh, but you can get all of this stuff for free, even free haircuts if you need it. Professional um, stylists will be here. In fact, my stylist, I saw him, Willie, right over there. It's gonna be, you've been cutting hair this morning, man. I love it. It's going to be happening one to three right out in the lobby. Guess how many people are going to be paid to be there? Zero. They're just a bunch of people like you that just want to live on mission and be movable by God, and they saw a need and they wanted to help out. Anybody needs help in any way, don't feel bad. Come there, wipe us out of all that stuff. See, I believe that our compassion for others often begins with our love for God. Let me say that again. You're watching online right now. If you find yourself in a place where you're not a very compassionate person, when I reflect on my own life, I realize that uh, my compassion for others is a direct reflection of my love for God. And if I could be vulnerable enough with you this morning, I hope this is okay. I I mentioned this would be a little bit personal for me. I thought about this for six weeks. Because six weeks into the sabbatical, uh, my wife and I and our kids, we've just been having the time of our life. I mean, just stuff we never thought we'd be able to do. And thank goodness for the Lily Endowment for Clergy Renewal that paid for it all. And yet, I found myself not becoming closer to the Lord in the middle of that I was reading my Bible every day. Um, I was doing the 90-day Bible reading challenge that I left you with uh, just over 90 days ago. I heard of several people who actually completed the entire Bible in 90 days. And uh, I love it. Um, And I have tried it multiple times and always failed. And I finally succeeded this time. I had to do a lot of it on audio because I'm such a slow reader. But I finally did it, baby. And so all you got to do, if you want me to read the entire Bible, just give me a three-month vacation, and I can make that happen. Uh, But I found myself in a place halfway through the sabbatical of realizing, even though I was doing all of this stuff, when I went on the sabbatical, I wasn't just looking for a, a nice break from work. I actually like work. I like coming in every day. It's fun. We've got a great team, 
Great volunteers, great leadership, everything. It's a joy to serve here. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But I was looking forward to a little bit of a break from God. You ever been there? My faith wasn't wrong. I, I believed all the things. I had the same passion. I wanted to see all the same stuff happen. I was reading my Bible every day. I was praying. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was just, I felt like my relationship had become somewhat transactional. Where I do some good things for God and serve him as a pastor. And that's, that's really my faith is my job. And I go and I do these things to serve him and to kind of make him happy and appease him didn't do it because I loved him. And I found myself kind of getting grumpy. You ever get grumpy? I know you do. I've seen, I've met many of you. So, and you get in a place where it's just like, why am I stuck? Why spiritually am I like this? Why am I not seeing the things that they're having in the New Testament? Why am I not like Ananias where he says, go. And I just jump up and I go, even though I was afraid, Ananias gets up and goes, by the way, Saul hadn't ate or drank in three days. He had not eaten or drank in three days, which means that he could literally die within the next couple of days. You can't go more than a four or five days without water. And because he goes, it changed the course of human history. And I have to believe the unspoken thing in this passage is not just that Ananias goes, but that he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He understands that God loves him more than any other human being could ever love him. That God desires a relationship with him. And I had to do this thing in the middle of my sabbatical where I had to just get down and just repent. Not because I had to, but because I got to. Repent of what I was making of my relationship with God. And say, I don't want this life to be about the things that we can accomplish together, God. I want this life to be about me loving you because you first loved me. And because you loved me, I want to show love and compassion to other human beings in my life that I'm not always good at. I don't know about you, man. That's not easy. Because there's all kinds of stuff that gets in the way. Good stuff. Colts football's back, baby. Woo! Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish are about to kick off soon. I cannot wait. And I got to research uh, some of the recruiting online on their websites and learn about Indiana basketball and all the important things in, in my life. And I got to, you know, I like to golf and I like to have other fun activities. I like to have friends over. I like to do all of this stuff. But if I find myself loving people the way that God first loved me, I got to reflect and go, what's wrong? There is some pride. There is some selfishness at the root of my soul that needs to be relinquished. And if you want to become the person that Darren described that you were born to be to fulfill the fivefold ministry of the, the church, to literally be the body of Christ, to change the course of human history together, to do all the big vision stuff we talked about, if it doesn't begin with the one message that Jesus came to bring, repent for the king of heaven is at hand. None of that will ever occur. We'll just be doing it on our own volition and we won't see the things that God accomplished. You realize over the last three months, this church has reached new people for Christ. We've seen attendance and finances and all this stuff continue to happen in the ways that we would anticipate. And it happened without a person in a family that we thought that the church had to be based off of because that's how churches work, right? I still have people go, you know, your church. It's not my church, it's Jesus' church. And the reality is you could take the entire leadership away. If the spirit of God is still present here working in and through us, if we have repented and submitted ourselves to him as king, he is truly the unstoppable God that we have sung about this morning. 
Number three, if you want to be unstuck, humble yourselves in service to others. You see, when we read verses 15 to 18, uh, he goes on and he says, go. And Ananias finally gets up and goes. And verse 16, he talks about to show him how much that Saul will suffer because of this. We get to verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, can you picture it? The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and what? Was baptized. He got up and was baptized. Why did Saul, the first thing he does after the scales fall off and he can see with the eyes, he's finally, he's not stuck anymore. He's not stuck anymore. He's finally free for the first time in his life. And the first thing he does is goes and gets baptized. Why? Because baptism represents that you have submitted, you have died with Christ, and you have risen with him. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God. I am no longer my own. Jesus says that you were bought at a price. My primary identity is found in you. And if I have sins in my life that I'm not even aware of yet, when I'm aware of them, I want to reorient my whole life around you. Because that's what it means to submit to the King of Heaven. And that we get to, that we're no longer alone. And so the first thing he does is run. He he does, every morning I get up, I want to do these two things. I want to say to myself, he is God and I'm not. Whew, thank goodness. He is God and I am not. And I repent of my selfish desires, surrendering my will to you. Because it's only then where we can humble ourselves enough that God uses us to minister to others. You see, one day Saul will become Paul and he will retell the story of Ananias coming to him in Acts chapter 22. And at the end of of that retelling, we get to verse 16 in Acts 22. He says, and now what are you waiting for? He tells the story. Some of you have heard the story of Jesus and how he died on the cross for you and rose from the grave, overcoming death, that you can live with him in heaven. And that he wants to reign in your life and that you're not alone. And that at Christmas time we celebrate he is Emmanuel, God with us. That he has not given up on his creation no matter how much we've turned our backs on him. He's going to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and pursue us because he loves us. And we've heard that story. And I want to ask you, if you know that, what are you waiting for? In our American suburban culture, we have... Too many, too many people who are fans of Jesus and haven't jumped on the team. What are you waiting for? Get up this morning. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. We're going to do baptisms here in two weeks. We're going to do them again at the birthday bash. Some of us, we need to get up and symbolically represent the salvation we already have to say that he is king of our lives. But the reality is for many of us who have been Christians have a really, really, really long time, we can still get in the place where we're stuck and we're just going through and we're coasting through life and we're trying to survive and we're wasting it. We're wasting it. We're going to look back on all we did 100 years from now. We're going to be like, why? Why didn't I spend my time in a way that honored the Lord, in a way that I could be used by him? I want to get up and change Matthew 4, 17, that I need, we need to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the way that God reigns in heaven, we now get glimpses of that, of his reign here on earth. It won't be perfect this side of heaven. We still have things like Charlottesville and North Korea and, and, and racism and oppression and injustice and fear and failure. We got these things in our world, but if we don't first begin and say, God, help us reign as you do in heaven, reign here on earth to be like the clergy who yesterday, who silently prayed and brought, tried to bring peace in a difficult situation, that we are meant to be those people, to be movable by God, the way that Ananias was. That when we say simple things like, hey, next Sunday, Saturday, we're starting Saturday services, we go, man, I'm gonna bring a friend to Saturday at five, I'm gonna bring a different friend at 6.30, bring a different friend Sunday at 9.30, different one on Sunday at 11, because I cannot wait to see if one life is impacted for all eternity, it's all worth it. That's the, the passion, the desire I want. His primary message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not because he is a feeble man, but because he is the king of all kings, the king of heaven. He has come to reign in your life, in my life, not be the afterthought of our pleasure. He is not a distant God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's why over and over again in scripture, he says like he does in Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous I have not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus says, I didn't come for the good people. I came for the bad ones. It's the sick ones that need a, a doctor. He says, I have come for people just like that. He says, I, later on, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all perish. Even the good people, if we don't repent and turn to him and make him king of our lives, we will all perish. He says in Luke 15, 7, I tell you, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If one person is here this morning and you've got the baggage, I know what it's like, where you have this guilt about some stuff in your life, the shame that comes with that, and you feel like you can't become the person that God created you to be because it's weighing you down, you feel stuck. It's why the scriptures teach us that Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That he desires you to release you from all that you're carrying around. And not just the people who have it all together, every single one of us. And if that scares you, like it does all of us, I keep in mind these verses in Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. He is not angry and hateful and spiteful. He loves you. He desires you. He wishes you would run to him because he's the manual, king of heaven that finds mercy, his primary tactic in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we confess this morning that we are not perfect. And for some of us right now, in our marriages, we feel stuck. In raising our children, we feel stuck. With our finances, we feel stuck. With our, our workplace environment, we feel stuck. We feel, just feel stuck as a human being. We've given up hope. God, this life can become sad and depressing at times. And yet, Lord, you bring so much joy. 
And so right now, if there is anybody in the room that you've been carrying around the weight on your shoulders and you need that easy yoke, his ways are burdenless. And maybe you need to surrender and repent of the things in your life, Christian or not. And so I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it aloud. If that's you, God, I, I admit to you and I repent of my ways that I need your assistance. And so right now, on this morning, August 13th, 2017, I submit my life to you as king, not just of heaven, but the king who reigns now in this life, in my life. Use me, Lord Jesus. You are truly Emmanuel, God with us. God, we celebrate you. We surrender this morning to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.